Fantastic. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we come to you this morning expecting your word to do what your word promises to do. It is going to transform us. It is going to change us. It is going to challenge us. God, we long for this kind of faith that, doesn't, that does not act. We, we, want, we, want, we long for a faith that acts. We want a faith that moves. We want a faith that is going to take hold of the promises that you have given us and one that is going to uh, find itself moving again and again and again in good works and in fulfillment of promise. Lord, I pray, would you keep us from empty faith, dead faith, But Lord, I pray right now that you would be bringing stony hearts to life. And even in my own heart, Father, as I I put this message before myself again, would you open it again to receive faith that acts. God, I ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm Josh. For those of you who don't know me, I I lead Freedom Church. Freedom Church was uh, planted by Jubilee. just about a year ago, we, we left um, Jubilee. We were sent up into North Hull, um, and then we've been meeting now for a number of months uh, in person. Initially, we were online and then in person, and uh, we are uh, really grateful for this ongoing partnership that we have with, with you guys here at Jubilee as we have this shared vision to see many churches planted, both uh, regionally, nationally, and internationally. Um, and so it's wonderful to be here together as churches as we sent um, Steve and Joe to Birmingham. Uh, and actually in the near future, we're looking to send some of our own, uh, Brian and Sarah, who many of you will know, um, into Birmingham as well to be part of that same work as we have a heart to see many churches planted in that city. We know that that is a city that requires, uh, uh, you know, UK's second city needs many, many churches planted, and so we're sending uh, some of our own. If you ever think of us as uh, up at Freedom Church, do pray for us there, because we're going to be feeling the gap. Um, Brian, uh, particularly, is our, our great worship leader, and so we are going to be lacking a worship leader, but we're sending him in faith uh, that God will provide for the work that he has called us to. And so if you think of us, do pray that God would, would send others to, uh, to fill those gaps that they're going to be leaving. Uh, but as I say, it is such a joy to be part of this work together with you in planting many churches and seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Um, it's great to be here with you guys. Um, I, as I say, it's, it's great to have that, that ongoing relationship with Jubilee, but it's, it's really great to be here and worshipping with you in person. I think there's just something special about that. And even as we were just uh, sat here and worshipping, just felt that connection once again with, with you and um, just realising that worship is a, a, such a communal event of, well, as, our, as we sing to one another, as we draw our eyes away from ourselves and towards Christ. I just really felt that as we were worshipping. And, and as um, the words were brought, I just thought, fantastic. And so I was really encouraged by that. I'm really glad to to be here as well as you in your series in James. I love the book of James, although I'm very much challenged by the book of James. James is incredibly challenging. He doesn't shy away from um, pushing our buttons. And I hope you've felt that even as you've covered these first passages in this book, that you've felt challenged. I think if you've not felt challenged in James so far, you're definitely going to feel it today. Um, but I think it's just something as you go through James, he is willing to challenge you. 
Um, challenging in a number of ways. Challenging and yet so Christ-like, I think you'll see. As you, as you read through the book of James, you're going to be taken to Jesus' own words. And that shouldn't surprise you. Um, Jesus, when he tells his disciples at the end of uh, Matthew's gospel, he says, you know, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Teach them to obey what I've commanded you. And so we shouldn't be surprised when we hear James speaking and he brings the commands of Jesus to us. And he brings them in such a way that he expects us to obey them, right? That's, James is fulfilling the command that he received from Jesus to, to, to give, to pass on what he's received and to help us to unpack it into our own lives, to see it outworked into our own lives. But James is so challenging for two reasons. Firstly, because he actually expects what we believe to be outworked in our life. Right? James is the guy who, if you quote Jesus and you say, it's better to give than to receive. And many of us would put our hands up and say, yeah, I believe that. James is the person who follows that on and says, oh, let me see your bank statement then. Great, great, amazing that you believe that. Let me see. And you go, what? James goes, oh, I, just, I would love to see what someone's bank account looks like who actually believes that. Let me see it. And it's challenging. And so we, we've got to, as we come to James, we've got to be accept, accepting the fact that he, we're gonna, he's going to challenge us, just like Jesus does, right? Jesus does the same thing. He's challenging us in the same way. But James is also really challenging because he speaks to us, particularly in this passage that we've just read, about our faith and about the nature of the faith that saves. What kind of faith saves a person? He really lays out this challenge of how we fit those two things together, those, those good works, how our faith is actioned, and the faith that saves us. How, how do you hold those two things? How do they relate to one another? And in this passage, it's very challenging. I hope you see that. I hope you, you notice that as it was read. Because James is very clearly saying here that faith without works will not save you. That is... Do you, do you hear that as you read the passage? That's not me, by the way. I'm, I'm just hide behind James here. That's what James says. Faith without works is of no value. It is useless. It doesn't do anything. What good is it, he says? No good at all. Faith without works is dead. It will not save you. And when we come to see Jesus teaching in the Gospels, we see actually that lines up very well with what Jesus says. You can't read, I've spent a lot of time in Matthew recently, um, you can't read Jesus and, he, and, and hear his teaching without feeling the challenge of, wow, Jesus really cares about what I do with my life. He really cares about what I do with my money. He really cares about how I treat the poor, how I love others. And actually, a lot of his teaching comes with both promises and warnings, right? Promises to say, this is, this is how you're going to receive and enter the kingdom of God, and warnings that if you don't live this way, you're going to miss out. Right, just a few examples. You know, the question comes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer comes back. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And then this is what it looks like. And he says, so what do I do to inherit eternal life? You love. Okay. Sounds like I've got to do something. Um, Phil mentioned last week, uh, as I listened in, he mentioned the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, you know, the servant who, who having received forgiveness himself of his own debts, goes to a, 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 with a lesser debt to another servant and, and, and punishes him. And the master says to the servant, because you did this, you're going to be in prison until you pay off all your debt. And Jesus ends that parable by saying, so too it will happen to you if you don't forgive 
So it sounds like I'm not forgiven unless I forgive. It sounds like I've got something I need to do in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven. The parable of the sheep and the goats is the same. Those of you who did this, you get to enter into the joy of your master. Those of you who didn't, eternal damnation. If your hand causes you to sin, says Jesus, Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, cut it off, throw it away. And so we see, Jesus says, love, forgive, act, and deal with sin. And these things will bring you into eternal life. And that, at first glance, can be quite troubling, right? Because the gospel that many of us have responded to is one of, accept Jesus into your heart. Enjoy the free gift of salvation. You know, maybe with a kind of an undertone of, you don't have to do anything. And so this kind of jars with that. What, what do we do with that? You know, much of that gospel that we preach, and, and we do preach it, and, we, and we're right to preach it, I believe that we're right to preach it, that gospel that we preach, come, we get from Paul, who, who famously in Romans says, you know, faith alone, without works, faith alone is what will justify you, make you right with God. And that, in some ways, as we come to this passage, is doubly troubling because Paul is using the same words as James. Sounds like they are, and using the same examples. Paul also points to Abraham and says, Abraham was saved by faith, not by works. James points to Abraham and says, Abraham was saved by works and not faith alone. And that's, again, that's doubly troubling. So how do we approach this problem? Uh, I think there's a, it's not hard. I don't think we have to do any backflips to avoid it. But how do we approach it? How do we deal with this? How do we understand James and Paul and Jesus? How do we, how do we fit them together? What is the gospel? That's a question that, you know, if you, if you follow kind of theological trends every 20 years or so, someone will come up and say, have we got the gospel right? And the answer will come back, yes, we have, um, but after a lot of conversation. But I just want to kind of save you a bit of that. And I just want to say, how do we hold those two things together? I want to say initially just there is no disagreement between Paul and James. No disagreement at all between Paul and James. We know that because scripture is consistent. It's all God's word. If we believe that, then we can't believe that there's any contradiction. And so there's got to be something else going on. But we also believe that for historical reasons, right? Paul and James knew each other. We know that. We see that story played out in Galatians of Paul wanting, he says, I wanted to just check that the gospel I was preaching was authentic. And so I went to Jerusalem and I met with um, James and John and Peter and they tested it for me and and they came back and they said, yep, this is fine. They extended the right hand of fellowship to me. And so these guys were aware of what the other were teaching. They knew uh, what was being taught by the other and they had recognized the other's teaching as authentic. Yes, this is the true gospel. This is the true gospel. We know these guys were on the same page with this stuff. They're on the same page. And so for that reason, um, when we see the example of the kind of shared wording, um, you know, justified by works versus justified by faith, both pointing to Abraham, you think, well, they're not disagreeing here. They're not disagreeing here. So what's happening? And the answer is probably that one of them's writing after the other, and we don't know which is which, but one of them is addressing the other one being used poorly. So we know, as we see in the Bible as well, that false teachers came in and misused Paul's writings, misused the Bible, misused the gospel to make it mean other things, to make it do other things. And so it might be that James 
it has picked up on this and has heard that some people are receiving Paul and think, that means I don't have to do anything. I can just, lit, I can receive grace freely and I can go on sinning. And James is coming to, to meet that. Or Paul is responding to people doing a similar thing with James, saying, you know, you've got to do all these things if you're going to be saved. And Paul says, no, it's a free gift. It's a free gift. So what is James actually doing here? So I think that's, we just want to get to that. What is James doing? I think one thing is we see as James wants to show us what faith is and what faith isn't. Right? Faith is not just a mental acknowledging of gospel truth. Right? You see that in that passage. You know, you believe God is one. Well done. Slow clap. Well done, you believe God is one, the demons do too, right? So it's not just a, a mental acknowledging of, of truth. I, uh, I've had the privilege of speaking at a number of uh, Christian unions uh, over the years uh, in universities. And actually, as you, if you're going into these settings um, to speak there, they give you a statement of faith. Um, there's all sorts of, and it's right that they do, because there's all sorts of weird things that sell themselves as Christianity today. And so they say, no, this, if you're going to speak to us, if you're going to bring teaching to us, you need to subscribe to these truths. And, and rightly, that's, that's good. I think it's right that we have things like that in place. And so you've got to sign it and say, yes, I do. I believe all these things, that the Bible is true, etc., etc." I tell you, even Satan could sign that. Satan could sign that. Yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. I believe that. And so James is saying it is not enough to acknowledge that these things are true. That doesn't save you. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't save the demons. They're not rescued by this. And so there's something else going on. It's not just a, 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 an acknowledgement of truth. Now James says that to believe something, to truly believe something, is to act on it. I love that how you've titled this series, Faith in Action. That's just James right the way through. You know, to believe something is to act on it. It's interesting as you read the book of Proverbs, these practical wisdom uh, writings that James draws on quite a bit through his letter, you see these, um, these characters come up again and again. So you've got the wise man, you've got the foolish man, um, and this phrase comes up again, the wise man does this, the foolish man does this. And you see, it's the, the, the wisdom of the wise man isn't shown in his knowing anything. It's shown in his doing. And the foolishness of the fool is shown in his doing foolish things. Same when Jesus talks about the, the, uh, the wise and the foolish men who built their house on rock and on, on sand. You know, it's, wisdom is a thing that is done, not known only. In fact, no one can be said to be wise unless they act wisely. And for James, he can talk about this in the same way. He says, are any of, among you wise? He says, go on then, let's see it. Are any of you wise? He's going to say this in the next chapter. Are any of you wise? Let's see his wisdom displayed in good works. That is what wisdom is. And so belief, faith, wisdom, they are things that are done, right? Faith, belief to James is fulfilled in action. That's what he's pointing to the story of Abraham to say. Look, Abraham's faith was fulfilled when he believed God and acted on it. Same for Rahab. 
We, we were in a series in, in Hebrews 11 looking at these great heroes of faith and um, Sarah said, well, she was preaching on, on Rahab and Rahab has her, her home built into the walls of Jericho, which you, if you know the Bible, is a bad place to build your home, okay? And yet she is wonderfully saved because she acted in faith and gave herself to, uh, to following the God of Israel rather than being swept away by him, right? Faith is acted out in and this also applies to sin, right? There's a, uh, you kind of, the same lesson, you know, if, if, if what I believe is, is outworked in my life, that's what James is saying, then the same is true of sin. If I sin, I've not just done something wrong, I've believed something wrongly as well. I've believed a lie. I've believed Satan when he came to me and he said, this is better. This is more pleasing. This is what you want. This is going to give you happiness. This, not that. Not what God says. If you sin, you've not just acted wrongly, you've believed wrongly. And that is the heart of sin. I tell you, that is the heart of sin, is not believing God. It's interesting, kind of, um, uh, the word that came up before, kind of, the, of honoring God in all things. You know, Paul says you know, it is impossible to honor God without faith. And the root of all sin is unbelief or believing wrongly. That's what James is getting at here. That's what James is getting at. And what is our great weapon against sin then? Truth. Truth. The word of God. That's why the Bible is so keen to tell us again and again. Delight in this. Don't just read it. Plenty of people read it. Plenty of people know it. There are schools of theology that are full of sin. Don't just read it. Know it. Know it. Be wise in it. Walk in it. Delight in it. Meditate on it day and night. Interesting, kind of, James will go on in the letter to talk about those who should lead and teach and, and says not many of you should presume to be teachers. And the reason for that is because, well, you've got to have your character in order. Now, Paul, when he's writing to Timothy and he's talking about who you're going to appoint as elders, who you're going to appoint as leaders amongst the church, in the churches, the, the qualification isn't what you're good at. That barely makes the list at all. No, the qualification is have they understood this? Have they understood it in a way that is reflected in their life? Right? Because unless you know it, unless you're living it, you don't know it. My back. I'm back. Unless you live it, you don't know it to be able to teach it. So, what then of that first moment of faith? Because we've, we've established faith is something that's outworked. Faith that saves works. What of that first moment of faith? That, that, that I've crossed the line of faith, I've prayed the sinner's prayer. You know, Phil has, has done an altar call here. He said, like, if you want to believe in Jesus and you want to become a Christian and know that you're saved, pray this prayer after me. What of that moment? Is that, is that worthless? Is that of no value? No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think a good example is of a marriage, right? Um, a number of years ago, I won't try to remember how many, um, a number of years ago, I got married, right? There was, a, there was a day that I wasn't married. Before that day, I was not married. And then on that day, I was married. 
something dramatic and wonderful and very, very special happened that, that fundamentally changed me. Before then, I was, I was Josh, single. Now I'm a husband. Something has happened. Something has changed. And I'm not more married now than I was then. Okay? I've had a lot of time to be married. I'm not more married today than I was when we first said our vows. When I first said to Jen, I do. And the rings went on. I'm not more married today than I was then. But the truth of those vows that we made to one another, till death do we part, the truth of those vows are displayed, are confirmed, are fulfilled, are shown to be true in the years of marriage. Right? I, on that day, I was legally, spiritually married to Jen. Today, I am legally, spiritually married to Jen. And it's demonstrated by the way that we continue to live in those vows. Now, if a marriage fails, if a marriage fails, it demonstrates that those vows, till death do we part, were not binding in the hearts of those people. It demonstrates that there was, they were not going to be fulfilled. There was not a fullness. Of, they weren't true. When they said, I'm giving myself totally to you until one of us is dead, it wasn't true. It's one of the reasons I think the Lord in Scripture is very strong when it comes to divorce. He loves marriage. and He fights for marriage. Why? Because it is a picture of the gospel. Two parties coming together totally devoted to one another. And so I think it's a helpful picture for us as we think about what it means to be saved. Yes, on that day, when you give your life to the Lord, you are saved. But that decision is proven to be true over the years as you live in the goodness that God has given you. Live in the goodness that God has given you. So the praying the believer's prayer doesn't save you, right? Faith saves you. Let's get that straight. Faith saves you. But that same faith that saves you in that moment when you pray that prayer in faith also leads you to walk in and enjoy the full life that God has given you in good works. The works that he has, that he has crafted you to make, to, to perform. That's Ephesians. You know, those good works that he has built you for. Those things are brought about by the same faith. And so if those things aren't happening, if he's not your Lord... He's not your saviour. That's what James is saying. He is coming in hard. And we need to receive that challenge. If he is not our Lord, he is not our saviour. Now we've got to understand that the whole thing is God's work. It's not 50-50, right? The whole thing is God's work. It is God who, who draws faith to life out of us. It is God who, who gives us that initial longing to, Lord, I, I want to be saved. I want to be part of your family. It is God who awakens that in us. And it is God who continues to empower us to continue to live in that. In Galatians, Paul says to, to the church, he says, you know, if you were born by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Right? You were born supernaturally. Something supernaturally happened in you on that day when you gave your life to the Lord. If that was true, now in that same supernatural power, go on living. Okay? 
That power that raised you from the dead isn't going to empower you. But when Satan comes with his lies, when he comes with his enticements to sin, you will have that same power to say, no, no, I'm going to live according to truth. No, I'm going to live according to God's ways. I'm going to love the poor. I'm going to give my money. I'm going to let myself uh, lay down my life for the sake of others. Why? It's supernatural. I tell you, it's supernatural. It's not something you can summon up uh, from anywhere else. It is a God-given thing. We need to understand the whole gospel. We need to understand the whole gospel. We're not being rescued. Sometimes the gospel is sold to us as though it's, it's simply a rescue from hell, a rescue from the, uh, the, the, the final condition of sin, which is eternal death. I tell you, it, it does that. The gospel does that. Hallelujah. But it also rescues you from the reign of sin in your life today. The gospel empowers you to live in the fullness of life that Jesus promises. I've come that they might have life and life to the full. Not just to be spared judgment, but to walk in life, to enjoy life now and forever. And as I say, it's all God's doing. The supernatural call that says to Lazarus, come out of that tomb and says to our hearts, awaken, come, know me part of the family that same call supernaturally empowers us to walk in that life the wonderful news of the gospel is that we are saved by by faith alone but that that saving faith is never alone right we are saved by faith alone faith that saves is never alone because it also brings with it all the blessings and the richness of Christ. Amen? That's, that's, that's one Peter. That's two Peter. You know, these p- pure and perfect promises. He's, he's given to you all things that pertain to, to life and godliness. There's, there's the Paul to, uh, uh, to Timothy. There's a, there's a, there, is a, uh, there is a fullness of the gospel that we need to enter into if we're going to understand James here. What it fully means to be a friend of God. Because the power of God in the gospel is that, we, that as we take hold of him, he takes hold of us and gives us all things. All things. So that we can say, hey, if, if, if our faith is genuine, it's also going to walk in his ways. We're going to find ourselves being obedient. We're going to find ourselves following him, loving him. And when our, our lives don't line up with him, he is going to come and he's going to be working in us. Sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it's a long process. But he's going to be working in us to make us more and more like himself. That's the, that wonderful um, picture that we now, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are now being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's what's happening in the life of a Christian. An old poem written by some guy named John, presumably. Says this, run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither legs nor hands. Greater news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. That's the heart of the gospel, is that we don't just enjoy freedom from the condemnation of sin, we get to live in the fullness and walk in the fullness of the freedom that it brings. So just to to finish, we want to celebrate the truth of that. We want to celebrate what God has won for us. 
what has been won for us on the cross, right? the fullness of life, the freedom from sin, the freedom to walk in God's ways. But we don't want to miss the very serious challenge that James is bringing, that, that if our lives don't line up with the, the, the law of liberty, as James calls it in the previous chapter, if our lives don't line up with that, then we've not received it. We've not received it. Very serious challenge. Pete, he's, he is dealing with people who call themselves Christians. Let's say maybe they know their Bible really well. Maybe they love going to church. Maybe they love worship music. But they've got no expectation that their faith should have any impact on the way that they live. They've got no expectation that that they should change their attitude towards the poor or towards their money or towards sex or towards their own sin. James comes in hard and says, do you think that faith will save you? I just want to pray and we'll finish. Lord, Lord, I, 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 I want to thank you for your gospel. <laughs> I want to thank you that you have saved us, that we can have assurance of salvation because of what your son has won for us. God, I thank you that we have, have entered into fullness of life. But God, I, I pray that if there is anything that is preventing us, or if there's anybody here who has is, who is only mentally agreed with these things that we proclaim, and, not, and it hasn't entered into their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would do that work now. Father, that you would soften stony hearts. Lord, that you would cause us to be a people who, who act on what we believe. Lord, and whose faith is demonstrated to the world by what we do. Lord, I thank you for the, the many wonderful projects that, that Jubilee has initiated and carries. And for those who have carried it. God, I pray, Father, would you give us more and more your heart, more and more of your faith, faith in you, true faith, true saving faith that takes hold of you, takes hold of your ways, believes you, and acts upon what you says. God, would you do this? And I pray, Father, would you shake, shake any heart that has not put its faith in you? Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray that there would be no one amongst us who fits this category of people who, who believe in the same way that the demons do. Lord, I pray that there would be no one there, here. And if there is, break their heart. Break their heart for you, Lord. In your mighty name. Amen. Thanks, Josh. That's awesome. Love that.